So we are continuing uh, this uh, message series we started uh, s- several weeks ago now, and, and as we continue through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and we started off the very first week looking at, at this book, uh, this Old Testament book, it's a part of the wisdom literature, it's, it's one of the, the pieces of that puzzle of, um, of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, some of Psalms, and Solomon, there's, there's these section of, of books in the Old Testament that that gives us all kinds of wisdom from all kinds of different angles. And, and Ecclesiastes is a very unique book of the Bible. As, as you've been reading along, if you've been reading along and studying it with us as we've been going through, you realize there's, there's a lot of famous passages in Ecclesiastes, um, and there's a lot of really kind of confusing ones. Right? And, and, and yet we, we learned in that first week that, that one of the diff- main differences of Ecclesiastes is that it's written from a completely different perspective than most other scripture. Right? Most of the Bible is written about God. It's about to teach us who God is and about his character and how, how he interacts with us, his creation. And, and yet Ecclesiastes is not a theological book. It is not a book about God. Ecclesiastes comes from a completely different angle. It's, it's, it's an ideological book. It is a book written from a human perspective. Right? It, it's about human ideas and, and how does God fit into just the the victories and the tragedies of this world, because those are both fully present. Right? And, and as we walk with the wisest man to ever live, King Solomon, as he kind of just addresses the different things of this world and, and wrestles with, with um, how they all play out, and kind of the, again, the book bounces all over the place. He bounces from subject to subject. And, and just as we've been doing, right, we've been pulling passages from all over the book, but but yet, what he truly does in the book is he looks at all of the different things that we seek in this world to try and fill the void that's left by God, right? Because we are separated from God, right? We, we are sinful people. We are pushed away from his presence because God is holy and perfect. And, and because that relationship is broken, we are left with a void, right? And we seek all kinds of things to fill that void. And yet he says, we see his conclusion, right? In, in the midst of the, the theme that runs through the entire book, and yet we see his conclusion in the last chapter in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, where he says, and that's the whole story, and here now is my final conclusion. To fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Right, again, and he, he looks at all these different things we can chase after, Right? And yet, all of them will fall short. And again, that's the conclusion, right? That's, that's the only thing that will fill you, fill you completely and, and complete you, right? And, and find fulfillment in. Because everything else is completely hebel. Again, hebel is the Hebrew word that he uses 38 times throughout this short book, right? That is translated as meaningless in the New Living Translation. That everything else other than God is completely meaningless. Right, that we can even find momentary pleasure, momentary success, right, and, and victory in life, but even that without God will just leave you more empty than you were before. And, and through, the, through these last weeks, we've been looking at all these different things that he identifies in the book that we seek after, right, to try and find fulfillment in that, that are still completely hebel. And in week two, we looked at seeking success, and we see how in the book he, he compares godly success versus worldly success. And then last week, we looked at seeking pleasure and wealth, and, and how he literally denied himself nothing of this world, and, and to try and find fulfillment in that, and says that it's all completely empty, right? Whether it's 
pleasure, wealth. Again, we, we looked at that list he describes of, of literally the world's definition of a life well lived. And he's like, man, it's just, it's empty. It's completely hebel. And now today we're going to move on to the next one that, that he, he addresses, and that is seeking justice. Now, justice is, is a, a buzzword in our culture right now. Right? This is a word that, that, that even just hearing it, you, you either get, get kind of fired up or turned off, right? Depending on, on your perspective and experience. And, and, and again, as we realize that, that, that justice is a concept and, and, and a word that is used throughout Scripture a lot. In fact, it's, it's literally one, a description of, of one of the character traits of God himself, right? That God is just. And, and yet, this, this creates this kind of interesting dichotomy because God is also gracious, loving. And again, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the struggle, right, with the concept of justice, of a just God and also a loving and grace-filled, merciful God. And yet, those can coexist in who God is. But it certainly is a, a buzzword in our culture. But, but today, I want to look at what does... Solomon say about justice, right? And can we seek it? Can we find it, right? And, and can we find any kind of fulfillment in it? Uh, with that said, is, is I think the premise, right, uh, that he comes to this with, and I think uh, that this concept that we can all identify with on some level is the fact that life is not fair. All right, life's not fair. And in fact, as a parent, you if you're a parent, you understand that this is a huge struggle, right, in raising kids, because yet, I mean, that seems to be a defense, right, that we naturally come to, is that life should be fair. I mean, we hear kids complain all the time, right? That's not fair. And you're right, it's not, right? It's not fair, because the reality is life is not fair. You know, we've said this to, to our own kids over and over again as we've raised our kids, and, and yet we've also been experience that in life, right? It's just, it's not fair. And yet we still have this, this inherent expectation, even as misconstrued as it might be, that we long for justice. We want things to be fair. Right? And, and yet, again, we, we long for it because God himself is just. Right? And, and again, we are created in his image, and so we long for that justice. And yet, our world is full of sin, right? And sin pulls us away from God. In fact, a very important part of our faith journey is learning about how our world works, right? So that we can make changes that will help us journey closer to Christ and find the justice that we so deeply desire. That justice that was put in each of us, right? By God's spirit and God's presence and his image that we were created in. So as, we, as we wrestle with this, we see, again, Solomon himself, again, he wrestled with the same concept. So we're going to dive into our, our main text for today. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Ecclesiastes 8. Here with us in person, you don't have your own Bible, their Bible's provided for you in the seats, you're welcome to use. Notice the page number's included there for those Bibles. If you're with us online, you can grab your Bible and read along as well, or just listen as I read it. But we're going to read Ecclesiastes 8, 9 through 14. Okay, where it says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. 
I've seen wicked people buried with honor. Yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This, too, is Hebel. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not um, all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so hevel. As we read these verses, and, and again, we, we can feel kind of the tension, even in those words, right? As he's sitting back and he's like, this just is not fair. Right? I've observed these things in our world, right? The, the good guy always finishes last, right? I feel like those that cheat and that cut corners somehow come out on top. And it's just not fair. Right? We, we, we have him wrestling with this, right? And, and again, we, we understand this, this, this struggle because we've all seen it happen as well. And yet, as we look at this passage, verses 9 and verses 14 are, are really the, the bookends of this entire thought. And yet, verses 9 and 14 are, are also very key as we dive into to the wisdom that he's giving us here. Okay, first, because in verse 9, right, he, he makes this, this interesting statement, this one that kind of makes us cringe and also shake our head in agreement, right, where he says the people have the power to hurt each other. Again, this is, this is a statement that is, we know is true, and yet it also stings. Because we've been that person that's been hurt. But we've been in that, that moment, we've been in that situation, right? Where we're like, yeah, that really stung. Right? We've, we, we've been in that place. And yet if we're truly honest, though, right, that it kind of makes us cringe knowing as well that we've also been the person that has caused someone's hurt. Right? And that's, I know that's a tough thing to understand, isn't it? It's a tough thing to accept, right? Of, but the reality is we've, both, we've all been in both places. And, and, and as, we, as we think about that and realize that, there's, there's this, this concept within our world that, that I've just realized and observed, again, just as a pastor and, and, and in our community and in families and kind of counseling things, all this stuff, is the reality is that we, every person can identify with both sides of that coin, right? And the reality of that is that, that most of the time we end up hurting somebody is because we ourselves have been hurt, right? And the truth is that hurt people hurt people, right? And it, it, it creates this cycle, in our world, and it creates this cycle in, even in our churches, right? And, and yet, that's what God's presence is designed to do, right? Is to stop the cycle. To stop the cycle of hurt, to stop the cycle of sin, to, to stop the, these, 
these terrible cycles we find ourselves in. Right? So we don't go deeper down the rabbit hole. Right? And that's, that's the power of the gospel, right? That's, that's what Jesus died for, is, is that he can say, no, it, we can stop right here. We don't have to go any farther. And, and that's exactly what Jesus offers us through the gospel. Right? The fact that he lived a sinless life, right? Just the fact he lived on this earth without sin just stops the cycle. Right? And, then, and then he stepped in our place and he, and he died on a cross, a shameful death, right? And took on the pain of all, of all of our sin and paid that price. And then he resurrected on the third day and conquered sin and death so we can be saved. So he can stop those cycles in our lives. Right? And again, we have to accept it, right? And again, that's the gracious, loving side of God. He says, I've already paid the price. Now you just have to surrender to it and accept it and receive salvation, and to be set free from those ongoing destructive cycles in our lives, right? And yet, we know that to be true, and yet we also know for verse 14, right? And again, verse 14 tells us, right, that just life is not fair, that good people get treated badly, that bad people get treated good, Right? And that, that, again, our world is still in this terrible cycle of injustice. And again, we can, we can see that pattern, right? We, we, we see that playing out in our world, right? Just, just open the headlines any day and you see it. Our world is full of injustice, right? And these terrible destructive cycles are just continuing to run their course. And, and, and again, we see these bookends, right, of this section. And then in between that, we see he gives us some, some reasons why, right, these, this continues to happen. And he also gives us some glimpses of hope. Hey, but the, the first thing that we learn here in, in right after 9 is he opens it up, right, with that how hurt people hurt people. And then, and then he, he, he tells us kind of a little deeper in verse 10. Yeah, and in verse 10, we learn that people can hide who they really are. That people can hide who they really are. And unfortunately, that's the way we have to, to come at relationship, right? Is we have to be skeptical. Are you showing me the truth? Is what I see in you real? Because unfortunately, right, the majority of people in our world are hiding who they really are or their true intentions. Right? I, I mean, it's, it's why we hear again, all the time, right, of people being scammed. Right? I, I mean, again, if this was not true, right, then scams would never work. <laughs> right? But people can hide who they really are. It, we, we see this, this concept, again, he, he, he addresses this a few different times within Ecclesiastes in, in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And he says, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Because even the king milks the land for his own profit. 
Again, you have to sit back and just kind of chuckle and laugh, don't we? Because we know how true that is. Right? It, it just, it's, it's as true today as it ever was. <laughs> right? Just don't be surprised. Right? I mean, you just say, he's like, just, it, it shouldn't surprise you anymore. Right? Because people can hide who they really are. And so much of our world and so much of our culture is just smoke and mirrors. Right? And, and yet, you know, we serve a God who is the God of truth. Right? And that's just one of the things, again, that the, just the faith journey does for us is, is it opens our eyes to what's really happening. It opens our eyes to, to what our, what's really happening in our world. It opens our eyes to who we really are, right, and to who God really is, right, and how that all fits together. And we see in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, he says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. I mean, again, this is, this is a familiar concept. I mean, this is literally the foundation of the gospel. I mean, this is, this is you know, star. I mean, Paul reiterates this exact fact in Romans 3. Right? We all have sinned, right, and fall short. God's glory standard. Now, the interesting thing, right, is, is remember Solomon wrote this, right, thousands of years before Jesus was born. Right, and, and again, this is, and I'll say not a single person on earth is always good and never sins, and that's still true because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Right, he was the only person that, that this didn't apply to. Now, as we think about that and realize that, this is something that, that we must remember, and I think, but then the, 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 the application concept of this verse, right, and, and of other verses like it in Scripture, is that we must never put our faith in any person. Our faith needs to be in our God. Okay, our faith needs to be in the only the only person that ever did not, you know, live up to this verse, right? And that's Jesus Christ himself. Okay, our faith needs to be in God, not in any person. Okay, and I will tell you, even in that, is if you're here today and you're putting your faith in me as your pastor, it's misconstrued. Okay, because that applies to me too, just like it does to you. Is don't put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in church. Don't put your faith in, in any human. Put your faith in God and God alone. Yes. And because people can hide who they really are. Now, again, that's a, an important part of our faith journey is the fact that we are people of integrity and that we, we, we live, you know, and present who we are through Christ, right? And that we're not hiding stuff. And, and right? I mean, that's an important part of our faith journey. And as we grow and find you know, grow in our faith, and again, I, I, I mean, that's my goal, you know, as your pastor is to, to not hide anything from you, right, but, but don't put your faith in me, don't put your faith in any person, put it in Christ, put it in God. And, and the, the next thing that we learn, again, as we look through um, this section is, is, that, is that sin thrives in secrecy, right, if we hide who we are, right, then, then we can throw all the smoke and mirrors and, and, and kind of push our own guilt off. And, and the reality is that sin thrives in secrecy. 
Okay? And, and, and we see this play out, I mean, in our own lives, we see it play out in, in, in every area of our world, right? Because uh, what's, what's the, the, um, the scariest thing for a public figure, right, is that the truth comes out. Right? And, and, and again, because sin thrives in secrecy. Yeah, I mean, that's true on a big scale, right, instead of public figures, but that's also true for us as individuals, right, in our own faith journey. We need to know that. Right, which is exactly, again, we get all kinds of instructions throughout the scriptures on how to deal with our sin, because remember, we're all sinful, right? We all need Christ, right? We all need grace and mercy. And, and yet, we're also told of how to need it less and less, right? Like, that's truly the goal of our faith, right, is to become more like Christ, right? And need less forgiveness and less confession in our lives, okay, as we grow in Christ, and in growing our faith. And that we see in James 5, 16, we are told to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And guess what? This is the opposite of secrecy, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, literally, it's, it's, he's telling us to, no, tell all your secrets. So that you can be healed. That, that, that's how you're healed. Right? Because if sin thrives in secrecy, right, then sin dies in accountability. Right? And, and again, we are told that over and over again throughout Scripture. Yeah, and then we learn, again, Solomon tells us then in verse 11, right, that again, the opposite of the secrecy is accountability. And we also learn again from verse 11 that accountability isn't pleasant. But it is effective. Right? It's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not pleasant. Right? Have you ever had to sit down, people you care and you care about, and tell them how you failed? That's not a pleasant experience. Hey, but it is very effective. <laughs> In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, he says, But I did find this. That God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. Again, you were created to be holy, as God is holy. And yet, right, we've all turned to follow our own downward path, right? And again, down the rabbit hole we go. And these cycles just come into our lives. And again, that's the power of the gospel, again, is to break those destructive cycles. And then he he shows, again, in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4, when he says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And again, this is another one where we're like, man, that's so true, and it stings. He's saying even even for most people, right, even their motivation to be better is, is actually destructive. Because it's not really about being better, it's about being better than you. <laughs> right? And again, yet we see this happen all the time, don't we? Right? In fact, this is something that I've told my boys over and over and over again, is do not demean me to make yourself feel better. Okay, and yet we do that all the time. Right? I, I'll point out your faults to make myself feel better. Right, again, it just becomes this 
this destructive cycle of hurt people hurting people. Again, and, and the, again, the, the concept, the application concept we see out of this is, is that our standard cannot, cannot be, should not be other people. That is not our goal in life. Right? Our standard is not other people. It's not comparison to them. Our standard is Jesus. And he's the destination of our journey. He is our example to follow. Right? He is the one that we should be, try to be more like. If, if the only comparison we need is to Jesus, right? And if I'm not there yet, then that means I keep going in my faith journey. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I hope this does not come as a shock to you, but you're not there yet. Okay, I'm not either. <laughs> right? But, but again, our standard is not other people. Our standard is Jesus. And again, and again, accountability is not pleasant, but it is effective, and we can find healing, right, through accountability, through honesty with people, through them praying for us and helping us. Right, the, the next concept we've got to learn, right, when you think about sin and our, our battle against sin is the fact that sin gets easier the more you do it. Okay, remember last week, we looked at that list, right, that he presented uh, in, in Ecclesiastes 2, right, the world's definition, and we talked about how the more you indulge into that list, the more empty you feel. Right? But the reality is, is that we learn to turn it off. Right? We learn to turn off the guilt. We learn to, to turn off the shame. Right? And, and because, because sin gets easier the more you do it. And the more you do it, the more trapped you become. Now, now we think about this idea, this concept, right, is, is let's just step out, of, think, step out of the spiritual realm for a moment and let's just put this into physical, physical terms we can all understand. Hey, uh, how many people brush their teeth? Okay, now if you're not raising your hand, you're either not listening or you need to go to the dentist. <laughs> They, uh, again, we brush our teeth, right? We know in our lives, right? That, I mean, what do we do when we brush our teeth? We, we cleanse our mouth, right? We, we get rid of the plaque, right? The, the last night's dinner, right? Whatever it is, right? I mean, we, 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 we're cleansed. We're all made clean, right? Fresh and clean. Right? Now, the reality is, though, is sometimes, right, things don't interact with that fresh and clean mouth very well, right? Have you ever drank orange juice? right, after you brush your teeth. Right, it, I, I can tell most of you have, right? Right, because we know what happens when you drink orange juice after brushing your teeth. <laughs> right, and, and again, it, it, it's terrible. Right, but what happens if you keep drinking? If you keep drinking the orange juice, right, we go from this to, eh, it's not so bad. <laughs> right? And if we keep drinking the orange juice, right, we get really happy. <laughs> right? Because the orange juice tastes really good. Okay, now let's, let's look at this concept, right, that we know is true in the physical. And let's apply it to our spiritual lives. Okay, we've all been down this road before, haven't we? Right, you come to, you come to the altar, you confess, you, talk, you find accountability, right? You, you, you come clean. Right, and you get cleansed. 
of that sin, and then, and then you're tempted and you give in, and the first time you give in after you've been cleansed, it feels terrible. Right? And, and we'd think, I, I, why am I here again? And I, I thought I learned my lesson, but I didn't, right? We, the guilt is just, just overwhelming. I said, but we've conditioned ourselves to turn it off. And so we, we indulge again, right? And, and it, it doesn't feel quite as bad. Right? And, and then we just eventually, we get to that place where we're, we're so focused on the pleasure that the sin brings, the momentary pleasure, right, that we completely turn off the guilt. Right? And, and, and we, we know this to be true. Right? That the more you sin, the less guilt you feel. And, and literally, there have been scientific studies on brain activity that have proven, right, that our bodies will protect ourselves. And the more we indulge into sinful, destructive behavior, the more our brain literally adapts itself to turn off those pain nerves. And, it, and yet, it's destructive. We learn in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, it says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Again, on your outline, I encourage you to underline that phrase, hardened against God. Because that's the earthly, one of the earthly consequences of sin. Is that the more we push away, the more we drink the orange juice, right? The more it, the more it tastes good, and the more we turn off God. Right? And he says, warn each other, right? Help each other to not do this. Right? The end result of sin is hardened against God, and that has eternal consequences. And yet, how do we counteract sin in our life? Is we we turn to others, right? We let other people speak to our life. Again, it's accountability, right? The Hebrews tells us the same thing that Solomon told us. And then we move on um, in Ecclesiastes, right? As we move through these things into verse, verses 12 and 13, right? Where again, we learn and it's reiterated what we already know is that the earthly results are unjust, but we need to trust God anyways, Okay, the earthly results are unjust, but we just trust God anyways. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance by being in the right place at the right time. Okay, summary, earthly results aren't fair. Right? They're just not. And then yet, yeah, in Ecclesiastes 8, 17, okay, he tells us, I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. You know, very interesting that this literally is being written by the wisest man who ever lived on this earth. 
Again, he's self-identifying and saying, guess what? God's doing all kinds of things that even I can't figure out. And so even in the midst of a moment where you're like, I have no idea what's going on, nothing's going right, Lord, where are you? Just trust God anyways. Because he's doing things that you don't even know about. He's doing things you don't even know about. And again, we, the next thing we learn about sin, right, is that, what I've already said it, right, is that sin has eternal consequences. Right? Yes, it has these earthly consequences, right, that, that, that we, we pay that price, but it also has eternal consequences. Yeah, we learn in Romans 6.23, right, that the wages of sin is death. And that is still true, by the way. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, God is just. The wages of sin is death. That price must be paid. God is just. But he's also loving. And he's gracious. Which is exactly why he sent Jesus. To pay the price for us. The wages of sin is still death. But that price is still paid so that we can find eternal life. So God is just. And God, at the same time, is gracious. He can be both. He is both. Again, Ecclesiastes 3.17, he tells us, I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all of their deeds. God is just. But he's also gracious. He's provided us a way out. He's provided us a way to stop the cycles in our lives that are destroying us. And when we pray and receive Christ as our Savior and surrender our hearts and our lives to him, Right, then he starts a new cycle in our life. Right, and then those, that, those new cycles are making us more like Christ every day. Right, and those new cycles are putting us back together. Right, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, he takes things that were dead and makes them alive. He takes things that were broken and he restores them. Right, he takes traps and he, he sets us free. And again, I don't know where you're at in your life today or in your faith journey, but the reality is life is unfair. It's always going to be that way. But God has also paid the price to set us free. And no matter where you're at in your life, if you're here today and you've never received Christ your Savior, you're just trying to figure out who God is, let me tell you, God loves you. God's already paid the price for your life and for your soul, and he wants to set you free. Just receive the gift. You can pray and and confess, right? Ask him in your life, and he will save you. If if you have already done that, but yet maybe there's there's something holding you back in your faith journey, right? That that you're still trapped in in habitual sin, or or the the cycles are, are happening in your life that you want broken, then give that to the Lord today. Because you can leave here more like Christ than you were when you came in. Okay, take the next step in your faith journey.
whatever that might be. And maybe today, maybe you're at the faith where you're just praising God for what he's done and then just praise with everything you have. Right? And live in accountability and live in integrity, right? Of saying that, no, I'm, I'm never going back to what trapped me. I'm never going back to those cycles, right? And I'm never going to hurt another person because I'm myself I'm hurt because I've been healed by Christ. And just praise God for that and receive that today. Wherever you're at in your faith, you're going to take a step forward. And this is my final thought for you today, and that's this. Life isn't fair, and hurt people hurt people. However, God can bring peace and hope because justice is in his hands, not ours. Justice is in his hands. And I put my trust in God, not in humans. Yeah, wherever you're at in your faith journey today, take a step forward. God, that is our prayer today. God, we pray for miracles. God, we pray for you to break chains. God, to, to open traps. God, to set us free, to break these destructive cycles in our lives within your church, God, within our, our culture, God, within our world. God, we praise you for your working hand. We praise you for sending Jesus, for setting us free. And God, we, we pray, God, that your work will continue in our own hearts. Lord, we continue in our church, we continue in every church, we continue in our community, in our world. God, we praise you. We thank you. We claim your power today. And God, as we go this week, God, help us to live our faith every day. God, to show this world who you are. God, through, through living out your word. God, help us, Lord, to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. God, to bring someone else along with us on that journey. God, to bring hope in a hopeless world. Thank you, God, for being just. Thank you, God, for being gracious and for being both at the same time. As we go this week, Lord, help us to live our faith, to receive your miracles, God, and to see your power at work. And Lord, we give you the glory. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray.